good evening, everybody. Great to see you tonight, and thank you for being here for Wednesday night Bible study. It's great to see all of you here, and uh, we trust that uh, your coming tonight is certainly a blessing and certainly worthwhile, and we believe that it will be. Uh, look at your neighbor. They're close by and say, I'm glad to see you. Thank the Lord. And uh, I do believe tonight that we have something of benefit to share with you from the Word of God. And uh, so I trust that you've come open-hearted and open-minded tonight to the Word of God. I do have one announcement to uh, remind all of you of, and that is that this coming Sunday, uh, following our altar service, uh, we'll have a benefit lunch for Mike Tomlinson in the A Center. And uh, again, that's immediately following the uh, altar service. It's a uh, pulled pork sandwich with baked beans, chips, cookies, a cookie and a drink for $10. And if you're paying on the church app, uh, and you're certainly welcome to do so, uh, please use the tab that says Grace Church Goods and Service Payment. So if you do that, uh, all of that monies will be uh, transferred to him uh, to be a blessing and a help to him and his family. Um, I have a, a very important announcement to make. Uh, it may not be important to all of you, but it may be important to some of you. Uh, Sister Murph and I have been moving this week, and I have committed to her and to everyone that will listen that this is my last move. My next move is going to be from here to heaven. Anybody feel me here tonight? Uh, but somewhere along the line, Sister Murph has misplaced her cell phone, and uh, we cannot find it. We've looked everywhere. We've done the tracker, the iPhone tracker. We went to where it said it was, and it was not there. We've asked neighbors. Um, we've gone to the place that she was at last and all of that. We think it just got raptured. It was a sanctified phone and just was translated or something. The point is, is if you have called her or texted her and she has not responded, uh, that is why. So I felt it would be beneficial, maybe not for everybody, but for some uh, that like to check in and what have you. So, uh, and if you talk to somebody and they say, man, I called Sister Murph and she hasn't called me, please say, that she's misplaced her phone, don't just leave it hanging in the air like she's being rude and not calling you back. Don't do that. Tell them that, um, and if we can't find it in a day or two, we'll go spend the money on a new one, I guess. And uh, this time I'm going to have it attached somewhere around her neck or something like that. So we'll work it out. Anyway, thank you for accepting the humor in that, but. All of you know how it is when you lose your phone. You lose a part of your life. You lose, it's like losing a hand or a foot. Uh, it's almost like losing your head, almost. So, but pray that she finds it. It would be nice if God would just whisper in her ear where it's at and we'd just go right to it. I've heard of that happening. And um, so that would be a wonderful thing. I want to talk to you a little while tonight out of the, Word of God, of course. And I would like to use tonight the Old Testament Joseph as a basis for this study. And uh, my title tonight is, Does God Honor Faithfulness? 
And you may question why use Joseph and not Abraham. Well, as we traverse through this Bible study tonight, I believe all of you will understand why. How we handle adversity, how we handle adversity, says a great deal about our maturity as believers. It's important to avoid the pattern of accepting something just because it feels good. It's important to avoid the pattern of accepting something just because it feels good. But on the other hand, if it feels bad, if it affects your feelings, your circumstances and what have you, but if it feels bad, does that mean it's automatically bad? Faith does not work this way. Faith doesn't work this way. We cannot allow, we have to have the spiritual, the mental, scriptural fortitude not to allow circumstances, whether positive or negative, to determine our worth, to determine our value. We've been teaching a lot over the past several weeks uh, from the, uh, about vision. And I, I, I want this presentation tonight to just, to just fit right in there, kind of like a hand in a glove. When you want to be a visionary person and really pursue the kingdom of God, you want to grow, you want to develop as so many of you have and are doing. It's so very easy for a negative circumstance, a trying circumstance, especially a circumstance beyond your control, it's, 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 it takes a lot of discipline not to allow that to knock you off track when it comes to your vision, your pursuit of God, your pursuit of the kingdom of God. So as his people, we must, everybody say must, as his people, we must trust his greater knowledge about us, about our circumstances, about our future, and certainly about our value. And we must learn how to find peace in the reality of God's higher purpose for our life. I'd like for you to notice the screen tonight. There are six things that are typically always true and any crowd of people, regardless of the size of the crowd, and I'd like for you to listen very carefully. Number one is that everybody wants to be loved. In every crowd, no matter how big or small, there's going to be somebody there that truly wants to be loved by somebody. I could comment a long time on that, but I'm going to, let me just say this. I had an, uh, uh, some dialogue with somebody this week that I thought we communicated and, and presented a pattern of loving and caring and what have you, but apparently we did it in a way that was not understood or received that way. So it's important, number one, if you're here tonight and you want to be loved, that you need to understand that there's people here tonight that's going to try. It may not be exactly what you're looking for. It may not be exactly how you want it, but people are trying. 
Number two, I think if there's people here tonight that wants to be loved, it behooves us to understand how to communicate that to them, how to manifest that to them in a way that they can understand it. And I hope everybody just understood what I said. It's important that we understand that. The second thing is that everyone wants their life to count. I don't believe there's anybody here that just don't care if my life ends, whatever, it's okay. I believe people want to make an impact. I believe they want to do some good, especially when you're in the kingdom of God. I believe you want to do some good on this planet for people. The third thing that is prevalent in, in a crowd of, of virtually any size is that people have discovered that life is empty without Christ. And perhaps there's someone here tonight that feels an emptiness, that feels a void, a longing. And the more of Jesus you put into your life, the more fulfilling and satisfying it becomes. And there's a lot of people here tonight that can vouch for that. The fourth thing is that in every crowd, no matter how big or small, there's always going to be people carrying a load of guilt. I'm not here to imply that there's one person carrying all of these things. But there's sprinkle, all of these things are sprinkled all throughout the crowd. There's people carrying a load of guilt. There's things that you've done in your past that you're very sorry for, that you regret, that you wish you could remove all the guilt. The fifth thing is that there's people who are consumed with bitterness over a past hurt. And to me, I've talked about this often. Uh, I, I mention it often. Is our area, particularly this whole area, the Baton Rouge, all this area, this this whole entire landscape, East Baton Rouge Parish, Livingston Parish, Ascension Parish, you can go on and on. There's people consumed with bitterness because they've been hurt. They've been hurt by church people. They've been hurt by family. They've been hurt by preachers. They've been hurt by pastors. They've been hurt. And they, they take that hurt and they lift it to an elevation that's higher than their love for the people that either hurt them or the people that care about them. I had this realization just several days ago. I was thinking about somebody that uh, I know does not attend this church. I know very well has just experienced a very hurtful situation, very hurtful situation, and it, it, it happened with family. And family hurt sometimes is more grievous than hurt on any other level. I think it can even run deeper than church hurt, church people hurt. Family is, when you're in a family, those are people that are supposed to love you and they care about you and they make you feel warm and fuzzy and all that thing, all that kind of stuff. And so when things happen with, with between family members, it can cause hurt, which leads to bitterness. It occurred to me several days ago, especially with family, how that a person can take their feelings over a situation and let it trump their feelings over the people who hurt them, especially when it comes to family. Family members are going to hurt each other from time to time. It's going to happen. I don't care what you, it, it doesn't matter. It's very rare that I've ever heard of a family that didn't hurt somebody else in the family at some point uh, after their birth. The Bible said that you're born in a few days, you're full of trouble. You're going to hurt people. You're going to hurt your family members. I've been hurt by family members. I've hurt family members. We all do it. But it occurred to me that I know family members, people who are in families, that will lift that hurt 
higher and make it a greater priority than their love for their family. That's why people cut their family members off. They won't have anything to do with them. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't want to see you anymore and that kind of thing. Uh, they're lifting their hurt over their love for people. Glad God doesn't do that. You can hurt God and hurt God and hurt God and hurt God, but his love for you will never be trumped by any amount of hurt that you can do to him. The sixth thing is there is a universal fear of death, and this is a part of every culture. Most people, most people, they say, a lot of people, I've heard people say that, well, I'm not afraid to die. But it's funny when you come to that point, your courage goes out the window somewhere. It's amazing how that happens. Even Brother Tenney said not long before he passed, he said, I, I'm not, I, I want to go to heaven, but I'm just real concerned about the passage way to get there. I understand that. If somebody could go through it a couple of times and come back and tell us how it is, it might not be quite so unnerving, right? So let's consider Joseph in light of the things that I've just said. Let's consider Joseph of the Old Testament. And I'm going to take for granted tonight the fact that all of you are familiar with the story of the Old Testament Joseph. How that he was betrayed by his brothers and so on. And most people who understand the story of Joseph feel some sense of compassion for the man. He was done dirty he wasn't wise he wasn't wise I've never considered Joseph to be a wise man when he had his dreams if I can be very respectful to the wonderful Bible character he'd have been better off to have kept his dumb mouth shut you don't go tell your brothers one day you're going to bow to me dude we're talking about family a few minutes ago remember that so they decided they didn't like him and besides that he was special and highly favored with his father being the firstborn child of the wife that he loved he gave him the coat of many colors you all know the story but I want you to notice tonight that what Joseph did was probably it was not wise and I believe most people would agree telling his brothers his dreams and they said here comes the dreamer as he approached them and they decided to kill him and one of them talked him out of it it's amazing how Joseph's life was completely changed. Everything changed for Joseph based on the deeds of others. Nothing he did. It's nothing he did. His brothers. His brothers did it. Does everybody hear that? His brothers did it. One moment, he was living in a family with a father who adored him. But his brother's actions turned his world upside down. And there was nothing he could do about it. Nothing. I don't suppose there's any of us here tonight that could really imagine how he must have felt when he was sold to that caravan of Ishmaelites headed to Egypt. I cannot imagine how destitute he must have felt. The stage was set for depression on steroids. Despair on steroids, if you will. I think there's 
those of us here tonight that have had these bottomless pit feelings where the whole world is against you. Your life has been changed, been torn apart by someone else. You had nothing to do with it. It's the epitome of betrayal. Joseph was sold as a common slave. He ended up in Egypt. So Joseph went from being the son of a wealthy man to the slave of a powerful man. He was ultimately purchased by Potiphar, the keeper of the guard for Pharaoh, the king and ruler of Egypt. I want you all to notice here tonight that even though Joseph was enslaved to another, he never acted like a slave. He never acted like a slave. He never embraced that persona. It was in the first stages of his journey that he began to realize his destiny. I believe those dreams started making sense in the first few days of his betrayal. So as we look at Joseph's life, we can also search our own souls in times of crisis. So what does it mean to walk with God in faith and trust? What does that mean? My Bible study tonight is, does God honor faithfulness? What does it mean to walk with God in faith and trust? Obviously, it means far more than most of us want to realize. It means holding to the belief of God's higher purpose for our life. It means holding on to that. We think that sounds simple, but it's not. It's hard to trust God sometimes when the world, when your world is caving in around you. It is. I've worked with too many people through the years. I've seen it through the years over and over and over. And it's hard to understand that God's view of our individual lives is higher than ours. He sees more than we see. He can see so much further than we can. God sees so much more than we do. I'd like for you to imagine flying in a jet airplane tonight at about 33,000 feet off the ground. You can only see the big things, but even from that vantage point, God can see all the details, even the sparrow that falls from the sky from that point. As a matter of fact, the Bible said you don't lose a hair off of your head without him knowing it. Joseph's life took yet another turn. His schedule and activities were determined by someone who had no interest in him personally. Joseph's life was now under the control of someone who did not give any concern or regard for his destiny, his dreams, his family. Joseph had no value to Potiphar other than his daily assignments and the fulfillment of those. As far as Potiphar is concerned, the God that Joseph knows does not even exist. I'd like for y'all to put this in perspective, if you will. So what did Joseph do? The Bible indicates very clearly that he went about his job with unbelievable peace and exceptional self-control, believing that God saw it all and had control of every situation and somehow, in God's perfect timing, he would reveal his ultimate plan 
to Joseph. It's hard for me to get my head around this stuff. I don't know what I would have done, and I don't know if tonight if you have the ability to sit down and really be honest with yourself and try to think out what you would have done. I will submit this to you tonight, that I know a lot of people who's lost out with God over a whole lot less. I want to make a statement to you tonight that you probably won't agree with, and I struggle with the validity of it myself. You'll see it on the screen. And that is that God is never silent. I know we talk about the 400 silent years between the Old and New Testament. Just because he wasn't speaking to the Jewish people doesn't mean he wasn't talking. And I get frustrated when I pray for a week or two about something and I don't see any results. I get real frustrated. I prayed about this building for 14 months before anything happened. And, it, and after 14 months, I, could not, I was at my wit's end that God was not going to do anything. God wasn't even listening. He didn't even care. Has anybody ever been there? When I pray, I need to see some action ASAP. I need to see God moving immediately. And if I'm going to maintain my resolve in prayer, then I need to hear some answers to my prayers. That's how we think, right? Most of us think that way. Yet long-term faith in a seemingly silent God is a spiritual struggle. But if you can survive it, God honors faithfulness. This is something else I've learned in my tenure with the Lord. <laughs> is my impatience does not move God. I can fuss and complain and carry on all I want, even to God himself. And he does ne he's never said, you know what, you're right, I better move on that real quick. Never had that experience. But I will assure you this, and I've learned it with my own life and the lives of many others, he's still there. No matter what happens. David said in Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. And he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. We just have to stay faithful. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. That is quite a promise. So the impetus is on us to stay God who moves outside of our vision and occupies himself with a task beyond our comprehension and his eyes peer into what we can't see and his hands work skillfully where we can only grope. This is the God who reaches and thinks and plans and shapes and watches and controls and feels and acts while we're unconscious and peaceful sleep. 
don't want anybody here tonight to get the idea that God is always off attending to black holes somewhere in the galaxy or fussing with hydrogen molecules somewhere. I remind you that God works even when we're asleep. He's still working. He's occupied all night long thinking about you. His interest is never, his interest in you never diminishes. He is busy always on your behalf, even when you're not aware of it, even when you are doing absolutely nothing. When it comes to your life, God never stops observing. He never stops giving. He never stops directing. He never stops guarding. And he never stops planning. God works in all circumstances. Y'all believe that? God works in all circumstances. No matter how tragic, no matter how despondent, no matter how discouraging, no matter how horrible, God works in all circumstances. The most impossible situation, the most impossible situations are God's best occasions for miracles. Nothing intimidates God. Nothing intimidates God. Shut the door on hope. Drown your dreams in the bitter tears of disappointment and God will raise them to life. Yes, he will. You can raise the white flag of defeat and pretend it's all over and watch God restore, renew, revitalize your life, ministry, and purpose. I've seen God do this all of my life, in my own life, and in the lives of others. It is God at work in the silent and unexplainable moments of your life. It is God that turns the pages of your spiritual history. When you thought it was over, when you thought it was over, when it was all you could do to be faithful, God is still working. If you want to be a visionary person, this is going to help you huge. It will help you huge if you want to be a visionary purpose. And I believe there's perhaps even people here tonight that the devil has lied to some of you so long that you've begun to believe his account of your future, that there's nothing there for you in the kingdom. You're useless, you're worthless, there's no hope. You may have quit trying and determined that the hurts are too many and the pain is too much, but I want to remind everybody here tonight that the devil is a liar. If the story of Joseph teaches anything, it is that the final chapter of our lives have yet to be written. Disappointments, negative circumstances are real, but they must be survived. And while all the negative circumstances are going on in our lives and the disappointment. I know tonight that God is preparing another set of circumstances for our life. I'm living one right now. An amazing circumstance has happened in the life of Sister Murphy and I. And I, we're both amazed, absolutely amazed, over something that we never asked for. Nothing that happens to you today will be in the final chapter of your life. God has ordained your life for another dimension that only He controls, and it reaches all the way into eternity. We've heard this over and over, but somebody needs to apply it tonight. It's never over until God says it's over. God's purpose is higher. As we contemplate Joseph's struggles, we must remind ourselves that he did not know what we know about him. 
He didn't know the outcome. He didn't know how it was going to end exactly. I've read the end of the story, and so have you. But Joseph was living it out. Every day he was living it out, and Joseph had to rely on his faith and trust in God's higher purpose for him. He had to rely on those dreams he had. And too often you and I get bogged down in the present circumstances too much to appreciate God's ability to work beyond the moment that we're currently living. He prepares tomorrow with such a different backdrop than today, so marvelous and breathtaking that it makes us oftentimes even forget yesterday. There's a little bit of a dilemma in this presentation tonight. Like you and me, Joseph was a person of destiny. He was just one of them people, I believe, if you talked to Joseph a little while, even if he told you about his dreams or he didn't, you would figure out he was a man of destiny. He's going somewhere. He's not just going to be a shepherd the rest of his life and run errands for his daddy. He had a bigger purpose than that. And I believe this church has a big, bigger purpose than what we even know and what we even realize. But we can learn from Scripture that if we live in full obedience to God, we are examples to those who interact with us every day. Jesus did say that we're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. I believe even Potiphar noticed and picked up on the fact that this slave was not just an ordinary slave on the slave market. I believe after rubbing shoulders with Joseph and giving him instructions and noticing his attitude, especially the incident with his wife, if Potiphar had really believed that Joseph tried to take his wife inappropriately, he'd have killed him. But I believe he knew he was a person of destiny, and so he spared his life. We have a tendency to look for wonder in our experience. It is one thing to go through a crisis grandly, yet quite another to go through everyday life glorifying God when there's no witness, no limelight, and no one paying us even the remotest attention. Listen to pastor tonight. The true test of a Christian's life is not successfulness, but faithfulness at the human level of life. It's just to remain faithful. So Joseph did not allow the tremendous weight of his life circumstances to overwhelm him to the point of despair. And I understand tonight that we're all susceptible at times, but the crushing weight of stress and negative events can almost tip over our boat unless we stay focused on God and his enabling strength. Joseph had every reason to be bitter, and everyone would have understood it. Perhaps he could have gone to counseling had he become bitter. Well, he didn't need none of that. He was faithful. His love for God and his faith in God superseded his hurt. I, won't, I, I wish everybody could understand that tonight. Nothing should hurt us so much that we abandon our relationship with God. Our love for God has to be deeper than any and every hurt we've ever experienced, ever gone through. No matter who's hurt us, no matter how severe, and no matter how much out of control, it, it, out of our control that it was, 
I can't stress that enough. I want to say here tonight in passing that I've heard it for years. We've pastored here 27 years. I've heard it and heard it how pastors hurt people. Pastors hurt so-and-so. Pastor hurt this family. They don't go to church anymore because what pastor did. You have any idea what saints do to pastors? Have you ever thought of it that way? Have you ever thought about how the pastor's been hurt by people? There's people that I've invested years of time, of tutoring, mentoring, training, Bible study, you name it. An offense come and they get up and walk out like nothing ever happened. But I have learned that my love for God and my love for the church cannot be overwhelmed and overcome by hurt that people cause to my life. It hasn't happened so far. So Joseph had every reason to be bitter and discouraged. We, he could have been angry, and no one would have questioned why. His dreams had been stripped from him without just cause, it seemed. Yet in slavery and miles from home, when he could do nothing else, he remained faithful. It's amazing to me. I, I don't know if y'all are getting this like I have over the past several days, but... It's pretty amazing to me that the man was eloquent in everything he did, everywhere he went. From being treated inappropriately by a woman, by his brothers betraying him, fellow cellmates betraying him. Everywhere he went, everybody betrayed the man. But he stayed faithful. Even had reason to believe that perhaps even God betrayed him. But his obedience and faithfulness to God was making his life something of amazing value. Do you understand that this Joseph was the one that ultimately came to feed that known part of the world for seven years that spared them people from starvation? This, this is the guy. He was a man in person of destiny. And I wonder how many bitter people and hurt people that I know, how many lives they could have impacted had they not been overcome by hurt and bitterness. Joseph never adopted the victim mentality that is so prevalent today in and, in and out of the church. We are so quick to look for someone or something other than ourselves to blame. It's their fault. And when we see our circumstances or, or see ourselves as victims to the point of the complete collapse of our dreams and desires, it shows how undeveloped our relationship with God really is. I want everybody to, to pay attention and note here tonight, especially our young people. Blame is a waste of time. So what? If there was somebody in this church that offended me, blaming them is not going to heal anything. And it's not going to help anything. Did I just say something wrong? It just got incredibly quiet here. Isn't there the people on television? I've never watched them. I don't guess, but I've heard about it that they want to get on the television show and blame everybody, blame their mama and their daddy and their brothers and sisters and their aunts and uncles and cousins and ex-wife and ex-husband and kids and everybody. For their demise, 
Joseph is a prime example in the Word of God about somebody who was legitimately betrayed by people who should have loved him most, thrown to the curb, kicked under the bus, whatever you want to put in that. But he refused to blame because I believe he realized and understood how futile it was. No matter how much fault you find with somebody or some circumstance, regardless of how much you blame, it's not going to change you. It's not going to change your circumstance. And it's not going to change anything else you would like to try to put in that blame. Blame doesn't, doesn't. Saying it was the pastor's fault, the church's fault, this person's fault, that person, none of that helps. The only thing blame does is to keep the focus off of you when you are looking for external reasons to explain your unhappiness or frustration. So in conclusion tonight, you may succeed in making someone else feel guilty about something by blaming them. But you want to succeed in changing whatever it is about you that is making you unhappy. That should be the focus. Not blaming someone, but changing that part on the inside of you that's making you feel so unhappy. So tonight, it's imperative that we all walk the walk of faith and trust faithfulness. There will come those times when all you can do is be faithful. That's all that's on the table is faithfulness. That's all you've got left is faithfulness. And that's what Joseph implemented. That's what he applied. That's what he did. And look where it took him. Yeah, his brothers came and bowed down to him. Was there any gloating? No. Was there any bragging rights? No. Was there any I told you so's? No. Was it trying to make them feel horrible? Look, look what you did to me. No, it's probably one of the greatest manifestations of reconciliation in the Bible that I know of. Where he had all the power to kill them. He could have had them all executed and no one would have questioned. But to him, they were still his brothers. This is hard, man. It sounds so amazing when you hear it through the conduit of a Bible study. Or even a Bible story, Joseph was an awesome man, we say. He needs a blue ribbon. Somebody needs to give him a gift card. Somebody needs to take him out to dinner. We missed the whole point. It was to be an example to us. That was the point. He was truly one of the most tremendous types of Christ in the Bible. He never turned his back on his brothers. You never find where he criticized them. He blamed them. He never, he never did. It's amazing to me. My dad used a word, and it's crude. He used it all the time. But he talked about people bellyaching over stuff. He used the word bellyache. To me, that just comes from way down deep inside, and it's filled with anger and hate and all those words that goes in that blank and, and all of that, and, and people bellyache about stuff. I, I can bellyache with the best of them. I can. Let something go haywire in my life, and buddy, I can gripe. Um, Sister Murphy may or may not affirm that. I don't know. Uh, I have a feeling she probably would, uh, rightfully so. 
But I find it amazing when you read the story of Joseph. The Bible spends a lot of chapters on him. He gets a lot of spotlight in the book of Genesis. Y'all understand that? This isn't, this isn't just a verse or two. This is chapters on the life of this man. You don't read where he said, I cannot believe my sorry, disgusting brothers. Can't believe they did this to me. You don't read any of that. He trusted that somehow that long, grueling journey of years, years, God had a purpose in it. I don't know how he did it. We, we go through a week of two of trial and testing, even a month, sometimes a year. And we get lots of accolades, and rightfully so. Man, so-and-so suffered with such and such. Man, they suffered for two years with that. Try some of these men in the Old Testament. Look at Abraham, for example, at how long he wandered around, and Moses, how long he wandered around. Years! And they didn't have the Internet and YouTube and none of that to keep them occupied. All they had to do was just sit around and think about what God was going to do with their life, and tomorrow had no greater hope than today did about anything changing. I don't know how they did it. I strive to be more like that. That when I don't get my way and bad things happen to me, I want to look God in the eye and say, I still love you. And I still want to be faithful to your plan. And I still want to be faithful to your purpose. So does God honor faithfulness? I believe he does. The Bible teaches that God attributed Abraham as a righteous man because of his faith because of his faithfulness attributed to him as righteousness being right with God faith faithfulness it goes so far goes such a long way so when you don't get your way in life and things don't go like you had planned and bad bad things happen to you doesn't mean God's an evil person we can't somehow tonight we cannot judge God and even our life over what happened today or even yesterday or what might happen tomorrow God has a view that is exponentially greater than ours. And there's a golden city waiting on all of us. And I believe the old hymn we used to sing years ago, we will understand it better by and by. And I believe that tonight. Stand with me if you would. It's been a pleasure it's to stand behind this desk, this sacred pulpit, and teach such amazing, wonderful Bible principle tonight. I just hope you've heard it. And you don't just pass it off as a nice Bible study that made me feel warm and fuzzy at church on Wednesday night. But you take it home with you and you apply it the next time you're waylaid by something and smacked upside the head by some situation. You're going to apply it. And you're going to plant your feet firmly on the Word of God. And you're going to keep your faith in God intact and say, you know what, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to live for God just a little while longer. I'm going to stay with Him. If you do, there's blessing and reward that comes it's unbelievable. Thank the Lord. Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful for this moment, this somewhat of an intimate moment with the Word of God where you've probed our thoughts, our mind. I trust tonight that our heart is right, but sometimes our mind strays and we think things and process things that perhaps shouldn't even exist in our head, but we do. But standing here tonight is a group of people that have heaven on their list of places to go. 
a place to reach. It's a priority. It's a top priority. It's the top priority. But we're not going to get there unless we're faithful. The greatest reward we'll have is to be caught out of here in rapture or when death comes that we find ourselves on that golden shore. And I pray tonight, God, that you would keep this church in the palm of your hand. It's people. We love you, God, with all of our heart. And we want to be faithful above anything else. Keep your arms around us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hey, walk around and smile and fellowship with people. Shake their hand, fist bump, whatever you feel. God bless you, and we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday.